0: Welcome to A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. Here's your host, Hans Christian Wittinghus. Hello everyone and welcome back if this is not your first A Year on Tour with Wittinghus podcast. And of course also a very warm welcome if you are a first time listener. I just want to give a real quick shout out to my three newest patrons, Denise, Min, and Anthony, who all joined since the latest episode. Thanks so much for being part of the team, guys, and supporting the podcast. We're now on a total of 30 patrons, so definitely getting closer and closer to the goal of reaching 50 before the new year. If you sign up as a patron this month, you will be part of the draw for a box of 12 vitamin Wells, which is a functional vitamin drink, They're really tasty, and of all people I should know, as they've been my sponsor for the past couple of years, so I've tried every single flavor. I'll also throw in a box of face masks, so you can both drink and be safe if you win the prize. So if you're not already a patron, please sign up at patreon.com. Now, let's just move on to the interview for today. Today's guest knows a thing or two about winning. She has won a grand total of 35 international titles, including four goals at the Pan Am Games, four goals at the Pan Am Championships, and a gold at the Commonwealth Games. She's also won the Macau Open two years in a row, just as she has completed a hat-trick of Canada Open titles. I think it's safe to say my guest today is the current queen of badminton in the Pan Am region, and with a world rank of number 10, she's also a force to be reckoned with all over the world. Michelle Lee, welcome to A young Tour with Fitting House.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Uh, it should be a lot of fun, I hope.
1: <laughs>
0: apart, apart from uh, me being impressed uh, with all the results I just uh, listed uh, in my introduction, uh, I, I think I'm actually more impressed with the fact you have uh, managed to, uh, to keep your sanity. Because you've, you've just been 14 days in, in quarantine after uh, Denmark Open. How did you get through that?
1: Uh, honestly I'm pretty sure I was going crazy after the fifth day Um, if I don't know on my Instagram post even my friends are noticing you're doing a lot more crazy things towards the end so um, I think 14 days was just the threshold before I actually reached insanity but uh, I'm just glad that it's over yeah
0: yeah, I imagine. But, but you had a pretty nice setup. I was, uh, I was following you on, on Instagram and it looked like you had everything there a gym in your basement and uh, you got food delivered and you had a nice little setup for a workspace and everything.
1: Yeah, I did. I was actually really excited to spend time in the basement because, yeah, like you said, the setup was, uh, was really good. I had everything that I needed. Um, the only thing I think that I was missing was, I guess, people and shine. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh it was good in a sense I got to work out every day and I had a lot of space but uh it did get really lonely and just time kind of slowed down after the fifth day so um no matter I think it's just no matter where you are or how nice your place is if you're just stuck in one place for such a long time it's tough yeah
0: mm. well was it the basement of your parents house yeah yeah. All right. And you could hear everyone uh, just walking around upstairs and they're uh, living a normal life and you're stuck down there.
1: Yeah, I think that's what it made. That's what made it harder because I could hear my niece running around and she's, she's two. So she's at a really cute yeah. age and you just want to go upstairs and just grab her and just like hug her. But because you hear her, but you can't go up to her and you can't tell her that she, I'm down here. Uh, it, I think that makes it harder
0: yeah Yeah, i I imagine and then you when you came out of isolation it was actually was it on your birthday
1: yeah yeah Yeah, that's a pretty cool birthday it looked like you got a lot of
0: a lot of food and a lot of cake and everything it must have been quite the uh the complete opposite of what you had uh, just experienced for for 14 days
1: yeah it was uh it was crazy like on my birthday the the energy for that day like i was just so excited about everything because on my birthday Um, I was free finally free I get to see people I get to play with a baby and it was also the first day of my 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 own brand launch too so that day I was so so energetic so excited and then at the end of the day I was just so ready to pass out I was so tired from all like the excitement and yeah it was crazy
0: and the brand launch is uh, something we are gonna get back to later. But uh, for now, let's just uh, get started with the uh, the more serious part of uh, the interview. I want to talk to you about your uh, background first, uh, Michelle. You're uh, you're born in Hong Kong, but you moved to Canada when you were six years old, right? Yes. Yeah, and h- how come? Can you just uh, in short, tell us the story about why your family moved to Canada.
1: Um, honestly, I don't really remember much about being in Hong Kong. Uh, I just remember growing up in Canada, <clears throat> so everything in Hong Kong is just a blur. But I did grow up there, so I guess that's my first language. and my parents wanted to move to Canada because they thought the standard of living in Canada was much higher, and they wanted a better education for us and um, I guess just they just wanted a different life in Canada, so they we moved here. So obviously, I didn't have much say. I was six, so I just followed them. Um, but I'm very happy that we moved.
0: So you say that they wanted you guys uh, to have better education. Do, do you actually have a, an education behind you, or are you just uh, did you focus in Amazon <laughs> all the way? Uh,
1: I think in terms of uh, being educated, I think I would be more educated being. Growing up in Canada, Um, I think my high school education, I have done a few years in university. I do want to go back. Um, But I think just the living, standard of living here is quite high too. And I really enjoy the space and and comfort.
0: What would you like to go back and study? Sorry? What would you like to go back and study?
1: Uh, Business. So Uh, I'm in business right now. So I want to go back and finish my business degree.
0: Mm, All right, cool. Coming from uh, Hong Kong originally and then moving to to Canada, I also sense from from following your career on the uh, sideline that you are traveling back and forth quite a bit, uh, also with uh, training. And you're one of the athletes that maybe travels the most because you also spend a lot of time in Europe. And because you live in Canada, you don't have a lot of events in the the Pan Am region. All the big ones are in, in Europe and Asia. So, so you're actually, like, you're one of the few players that, that gets all three parts of uh, the world, uh, like Pan Am, region Europe, and Asia. So each of you experienced the training setup all three places. But also, like, mentality-wise, there's, there's quite a big difference. Which one of those uh, three ways of uh, training and, and playing badminton would you say suits you better?
1: Um... In the beginning, when I was younger, it was more the Asian style, because even though I am from the Pan Am region, I was brought up by a Hong Kong coach. So all I knew was kind of the Asian style. And then the more I traveled, the more I was exposed to other different types of training. I went to Denmark. I trained with the national team and I played for the league and was able to kind of understand how... Um, players from Denmark were also so good because they use a totally different type of training that I was never used to. So it's, I guess for me, it's just about putting everything together and just finding, it's almost like a trial and error, finding what works for me, what doesn't. So I, I want to say that I'm in the middle (laughs) right now. Like um, in the past it was always about volume. And then I learned the importance of quality so then it's about putting that together now for myself. Um, yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't say hey, that hey. there's one specific style that I'm like, that's suitable for me. I'm still kind of figuring out what the balance is. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that makes good sense to me. And, and actually my next, quest, next question was also going to be like, you, you come from a relatively small badminton nation, uh, Canada. I think it's uh, safe to say that without uh, offending uh, anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say it's it's very important when you come from a, a country like Canada to actually get that kind of inspiration uh, and experience other cultures and, and training regimes uh, to, to succeed to the level that you're at at the moment?
1: Uh, definitely, because like I said, for me, it always has been trial and error. And I kind of wish that it wasn't because I would have saved so much time if I had somebody else to kind of guide me, like a coach to guide me. Because um, – when I go to these Asian places or when I go to Europe and I am exposed to these um, different types of trainings, I'm only getting a taste of it. I'm not actually getting the full, I guess, um, program to help me build using that kind of style. So um, it's not as complete as say somebody who is in Asia, who's who has been following that training program since they were a junior. So if I use everything if i try to just copy what they're doing i'm not getting the i'm not understanding the full um i guess um point of what they're doing i'm just kind of doing it because oh they're doing it, so i should do it mm. so it's it's kind of tough because i don't have a coach to kind of explain to me and guide me why i'm doing certain things so yeah, which because is when, you, when
0: you travel to europe for example when you trained at the danish national center you, you didn't have a coach with you right you, you were there on your no. own yeah. Uh, so so do you, you must have struggled a bit to, to kind of adapt. I, I guess that, that's what you're, 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 uh, you're talking about here.
1: Yeah, like they would have coaches working with them, kind of explaining to them why you're doing this and this, mm-hmm. or like why we're doing this amount of time for this amount of sets and mm-hmm. what you're building towards. But I'm kind of just following along. Um, but it's, So it's not very su- suited for me. I'm just doing what they're doing. Um, sometimes not knowing why I'm doing it, so it's just about trying to figure out why I'm doing certain things. And I guess because I didn't have that coach to guide me or follow me all the time, um, it's the the path is not always as 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 straight as I want it to be.
0: Mm. Do you think that's also in some ways maybe helped you become a like wiser badminton player because you you've had to find the solutions and understand things. More on your own, you you haven't had that the uh, person to guide you all the way and and yeah tell so you, you what's right and wrong, you had to figure it out on on your own
1: yeah, for sure I think in the in the long run, I think it's better for my own development because um, I would be more exposed to uh, situations where I need to adapt and adjust on my own, so I think in the long run, I think that build me as an athlete much better um. But I think in terms of me peaking, it might take a, a little longer time than other athletes. But I think um, there's there's good to both. So
0: yeah. yeah. All right. I want I want to uh, to ch- change the subject just a, just a little bit and, and talk a bit more about badminton uh, in Canada and the situation you're in because badminton is a very expensive sport uh, and especially again for a a player from the Pan Am region, because you have to fly to Asia and Europe most of the time. There's not a lot of big events in uh, in mm. uh, the States, Canada, and South America as well. Um, and I, I know even for you, at the level you're at, it's it's not that easy to uh, to find funding. Uh, have you had any kind of help to solve that, that part of the game? Because it is a requirement, if you want to be a world-class player, that you have enough funding to travel enough or has you all have you also had to figure all of that out on your on your
1: own yeah for a long time i've been trying to find sponsors and because canada is such a small sport i mean badminton is such a small sport in canada um sponsors aren't interested in badminton and if i go to asia there they wouldn't sponsor someone from canada they'd sponsor someone from their own country so it has always been a struggle financially to figure out how i'm going to fund my next tournament so um it's not till recently, I guess, when I had better results that people would pay more attention and um, people would want or more inclined to help me find sponsors. So even to this day, I'm still finding sponsors, but I recently was able to find one sponsor or um, an official sponsor, GPI Biotech. Um, they're willing to sponsor, like that's my very first official sponsor, but um, it's still not enough to fund all my tournaments. So it's it's still been a struggle for sure
0: mm. how how are you funding it is, is it by the help of uh, badminton canada and yonix and as well i guess uh
1: so yonix is my biggest sponsor um and then now it's gpi biotech and badminton canada they don't have the budget to sponsor us um to go to okay. tournaments they do the best they can sometimes they'll they'll help pay for certain things but uh, most of the times, we still have to take it out of our pocket. So, for me, how I s- funded all these years was balancing prize money and um, all my winnings to be able to fund the next tournament. So, if I don't have any results, then sometimes I go kind of in debt. And when I have a good result, then okay, I'm I feel safe for the next two tournaments.
0: Mm. And
1: it's that kind of feeling. Yeah,
0: mm. I-, I sometimes feel like athletes who uh... Who has to find solutions for problems like this? A, l- a little bit like you—you you spoke about training before, but where they have to invest their own money and and like their own time in in actually succeeding, they 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 become better at coping with uh, like hardships and yeah, hard times uh, because they they're so used to everything not being yeah easy and you you don't yeah. get uh, yeah get things so just served for you. But do you sometimes? wish also when you see what it's like in uh, in asia for example do you sometimes wish that you had a a better support system or do you actually enjoy the process of the, of figuring all of this stuff out
1: oh i wished i i was so jealous of all the all the asian players and the european players any any player who kind of traveled on a team where there's a team of coaches a team of analysts team of therapists and everything like that and all the athletes have to do is just focus on court that's all they have to do the hotel the transport everything is already done for them but for me I'm still going to the manager's meeting I'm still um, booking my own hotels and flights and trying to find ways to make money so that I can even play when I should kind of be um, focusing on my next match focusing on how to get better on court. So for a really long time, I guess, especially when I was a junior, I, I always wished that I was a part of that team or part of that team. Um, but obviously as I got older, like these were the cards that I was dealt. Like there's nothing that I can do about it. And it's up to me if, it's up to me to kind of change um, my results, right? So if I keep dwelling on what I didn't have, um, then I would never be able to succeed. So it's just about accepting that that's the reality of the situation and just making the most of it and just doing my best and just enjoying the process. Because every time I felt like, oh, I wish I was just by myself. And then I see like they say the Japanese team, they're massive. They have every, everything, every, everyone on the team is just there to support that one player. Um, and I'm just by myself. Um, obviously, it doesn't feel very good. But I just kind of have to learn to accept it and just can't let that kind of eat me up because when I would step on court, I'd lose that confidence immediately if I kind of let that drown my thoughts. So it's just about making the most of it. And then now um, I'm glad that I can kind of get past it and accept it and so that I can kind of move on from it.
0: Absolutely perfect, Michelle. Uh, it it makes a lot of uh, a lot of sense to me, and uh, for me, with the results you've delivered uh, over the past few years, it seems like you've uh, found a, a great way of uh, balan- balancing everything. Uh, and I want to move on to talk more about your big results now. Uh, you've had quite a few, especially in the the last few years. But I want to go back a few more years. Actually, I want to go back to two thousand and fourteen. Uh, and I'm sure when I mentioned that year, you know uh, which result I, I want to uh, to talk to you about the Commonwealth Games gold medal. Yeah, I it, it was the first women's singles uh, gold for Canada uh, ever. Can you, can you just try and describe to us who are not part of the Commonwealth, uh, how big that achievement uh, actually was for you?
1: Um, it was really big because I think that was my very first major, major result. Uh, I mean, I've won the Pan Am Games before, but um, to have to to be able to even have a medal at the Commonwealth Games, I think is is very rare for badminton in Canada, too. So um, just being able to make it to the semis and into the finals and just my performance during the whole tournament um, I had no expectations like going in I had no expectations and I wasn't the favorite to win and um, there were a lot of other players that that were really good and not that I have had trouble with before so um, just going in all I wanted to do was perform my best just take one match at a time and I think um, when I really controlled how I thought it was that tournament that made me realize that mentality was really important too. Because in that tournament, I had no expectations. I just went in, and I just wanted to okay, this is the plan. Just stick to the plan, and just focus on my own performance. And then I think that turned out really well.
0: <laughs> yeah, obviously it did. And you, you beat uh, Sindhu in the in the semifinals, right? Yeah. It was he, she was probably the biggest favorite after I think Sina withdrew uh, from the the event, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you you beat Sindhu and then you beat uh, Kirsty Gilmore pretty uh, convincingly in the uh, in the final. But I think it's quite interesting. You say that it, this was the event where you actually uh, finally understood the importance of uh, yeah the me- the mental uh, part of the game. Th- did you not work with a psychologist at that time, or um, do you still not?
1: Um, well, we didn't exactly have the resources. Mm-hmm. Like um, my coach wasn't there. Uh, we had a national team coach, but my personal coach wasn't there. And I don't think I worked with a therapist then, like a psychologist. Um, I was just kind of, because I knew that mentality and confidence was always my problem too. So I tried to read books and I tried to uh, fix things, um, th- fix little things. Like I said, it's all trial and error. And that tournament, yeah, I was working on my mentality and just working on certain strategies to kind of make sure I had to stay focused. and when when it happens it's almost like a eureka moment because oh my performance was so good and it kind of just worked out so then it made me kind of very calm and I guess my performance was just it just matched and it just clicked and then that's when I realized oh that is very important like the Hmm. mentality and how I think is really important on court yeah.
0: Did you act, do you remember if you actually managed to carry on with that same approach for the next few events? Because it, it's a a, a classic uh, uh, thing that happens to people when you succeed with no expectations, then the expectations go up, and then it's very difficult to uh, to do it again and again. Do, do you remember how how you got on in the, the next uh, yeah, few events or, or the next year? or So
1: I think after the Commonwealth Games, I reached my highest ranking at that time. I think I reached top. 16 or top 14 or something I think before then I was just kind of hovering around 20 something 20 um but the thing is I did feel I was much more confident and I was uh playing with a lot more uh, patience and I just felt a lot better on court but then with the higher intensity I felt also my body was breaking down a little bit more so uh, I think I got injured after that So then my my results also went down a little bit in 2015 or something. I can't remember, but I wasn't able to keep going straight because I hit another obstacle, and that was injury after Mm. the Commonwealth Games.
0: Yeah, and I I think I read somewhere also you had a pretty bad uh, 2017 in terms of of injuries. You had had a, a surgery somewhere. Is that true?
1: Yeah. So leading up to the twenty sixteen Olympics, um I found out that I had a tear in my patella tendon in my right knee, and then a tear in my hip. And then, like two months before the actual Olympics, I broke a bone in my right foot. Okay. So um after the Olympics, I went to do surgery on the pretty much my whole right side. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So,
0: yeah. yeah. And then after that, it. Like after coming back from those events, it seems like you got what, at least in my eyes, is your, your biggest breakthrough. When you are in, uh, in 2018, you won the, uh, the Macau Open. And uh, I think Macau Open is a pretty uh, special event for you. You won it in, in 19 again, and you won it on your birthday, right, both times? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It was a really crazy coincidence. But I think after the whole process of going through surgery – um and recovering that was really tough that was another obstacle that was really tough that it was a new experience and as I didn't know what to expect and going through it I never wanted to go through it again so another lesson was learned there was take care of my body hmm. um, in the past like nobody really told me to take care of my body I was just kind of doing things because <clears throat> I was told to do them but there was no one managing my injuries or anything so um, after that whole getting injured, going through surgery, talking to a lot of different doctors and therapists, then I knew that, okay, I have to listen to my body. Because when I was young, when people tell you, oh, listen to your body, don't do this, take care of your body, you're, you're just so naive, you think you're invincible. But when you actually go through like the whole process, then you actually learn, okay, listen to your body. So then after that, um, I made sure that when I'm playing, I was never playing with pain, because I used to just play with pain. I used to just suck it up and just play with pain and then it mm-hmm. just kept getting worse. Um, but now it's, now I learned to, okay, when there's pain, there's a reason and to not let it get so bad. Because even Are you, when to- I are you talking
0: with- training here or both training and matches?
1: Both, both. Yeah. Um, right. When I was injured, I trained with pain too. Like, so it was always, yeah. because leading up to the Olympics, I had to train with pain. And every time I, I stepped on court. I knew the pain was coming because the injuries were still there, but I knew that I had to just kind of grind through it. And it wasn't enjoyable at all. Like it was not enjoyable. Every, every step hurt. And it's just what I wanted to do. I couldn't do, but I just knew that if I want to stay fit and still compete, I had to do it. So it just, it was just a really big internal conflict that I was dealing with. And um, after surgery when I got everything fixed I was just like okay I don't want to go through that again it wasn't enjoyable and coming back from injury um, playing all the qualifications and stuff and just the whole recovery process like my whole right light didn't even feel like it was mine after surgery and just kind of relearning the steps relearning the footwork and the, the tactics and the, getting the rhythm back um, that was a really really tough year but in 2018 I think um I just persistence and just grinding it out and just really working um I was able to play without pain and I think um Macau Open was a very good example of just um I guess or just a reassurance that I was going the right way like the right path
0: mm, yeah definitely and, and I think you keep on saying that that you weren't enjoying playing uh, w- with the pain and I think that's the key word here because we all start playing because we think it's fun to play and I'm 100% certain that all our best results, they come when we enjoy the, the game. And if you yeah. just have that, I can totally relate to everything you say, because every time I've been injured, you have that kind of nagging, uh, annoying thought in your head where you think about the pain that you know is going to come, as as you mentioned. Yeah. And as soon as you, you have that, you don't have 100% focus on enjoying the game and the game plan. And then, as you say, of course, the, the results won't be uh, yeah as good. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 that win in the, in Macau, I, w- I want to talk a bit more more about it. There, you, you beat the, a Chinese uh, girl in the uh, the final, and I think you, you also beat a, a, one more Chinese on the way. Maybe it was an eighteen or nineteen. I don't remember completely. But you actually had some pretty pretty tough opponents on the way. Mm-hmm. And you said before that you you really got the confidence in in 2014 after the Commonwealth Games. But I imagine these wins in Macau is what has really given you that extra boost of confidence to, to believe that you could be like a consistent top 10 player in the world, which I would say you, you are now. Like you are, you're ranked about an 8, 10 uh, for the yeah, past, I don't know, year or so now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So would you, uh, would you say, yeah, that Macau w- w- was in 18 was the, the place where you really got that belief that you could be a consistent top 10 player?
1: Yeah, I think because in Macau, I was able to beat players that I had lost to in the beginning of the year. I think in the first Macau, I think 2018, um, I beat Li Rae for the first time. Um, and I played her in the U.S. Open earlier that year and I lost to her. So I think Mac- winning that Macau Open and being able to beat a player like Leesha um, I think that was a really big uh I guess, confidence uh, boost for me. But at the same time, I was just happy that I was able to improve in those months um, from U.S. Open to, to Macau um, and also get over the fact that um, I used to have a mental, I guess, block whenever I played anybody from China. Um, because We've, they, all that, just, We've all had that, Michelle. We've all had that. Yeah, so especially like, because uh, I have this really, really bad memory of, when I first started playing international, I think it was German open and I played against Wang Shin. The coach didn't even sit on the other side of the court and I just got demolished because like they didn't know who I was. I was from Canada and the coach didn't even need to sit behind her court. And it's just like, things like that. It's just like, it's almost like being looked down on because I'm from Canada and nobody from Canada really kind of is on the map in badminton. So it's almost like that has always kind of put a little bit of like, uh, put China on the pedestal for me, but at the same time motivated me to kind of break that. So uh, whenever I played a Chinese um, player, I always think, okay, I'm always expecting the worst because I'm always expecting them to be like robots or, or monsters or whatever, but I'm always expecting like the worst. So sometimes I respect them a bit too much and then my confidence goes down. So um, every every time I try to play A Chinese player, try to just play, just try to improve a little bit, just try to break through that barrier. But Macau Open, I think that was my first time beating Li Shurui and just um, being able to consistently beat the Chinese players um, in a tournament, then it just, it's all, it's very, it's a very satisfying feeling because when I was a junior, it was what kind of held me back a little bit. So, yeah.
0: And also like, you know, to win an event like Macau you have to do it five days in a row because uh, there's no bad players at, at that level it's one of the strongest uh, super 300 events because all of uh, all of Asia participates usually because everyone wants to go yeah. to Macau yeah. so it is it is definitely a a really uh, a really amazing uh, result uh, but you you say it uh, you had this motivation to uh, to try and beat the Chinese and and get up there in the ranks and now I'm thinking you are top 10 in the world and women's singles is one of the most competitive uh, events at the, at the moment, at least in the <clears throat> sorry, in my opinion. Uh, so I guess you probably have the motivation now to try and go even further, maybe get into top five, top three, stuff like that. So w- what do you see as like the next step that you need to, to take to, to kind of make it into top five, like the most important thing you need to work on or, or improve?
1: Uh, my consistency I think is very important like I'm able to I feel like I am able to play at a certain level um, a a high level to be able to compete with the top four the top the the top players right now Um, but my I feel sometimes I I'm still not as consistent in terms of performance as I want to be like every tournament or every match um, the the performance kind of fluctuates a little too much. Sometimes I'm I'm on top. Sometimes I'm just not good enough at all. And it's just um, trying to find that balance to be able to play at a very high level every single match. Um, and I think yeah. that comes from uh, my practice and consistency. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. You showed that that you can beat the best. I remember you beat Tai Su Ying. Was it in Japan Open in in 2019?
1: Yes yeah
0: yeah but like it it all sounds very good but like consistency is such a like a difficult aspect to to work on so like could you be like specific on how how would you work with your consistency is that some mental thing or is it uh, something specifically in your training that that you would uh, you would do differently to to be more consistent
1: uh i think a large part of it is mental um sometimes when I don't feel like I'm in my game. I lose a lot of confidence. And then that gives a lot of confidence to my opponent. And then I just lose all intensity. I lose the speed, I lose everything. And then I'm not able to bring my game back and get back into the match. So I think a large large part of it is learning how to play when it's not, uh, when I'm not on my best day, when I don't feel like the feeling is there. So I think large part of that is um, my mental Um, but also during training how to keep the intensity the same every day Um, I think I struggle with that too because my training is very um, all over the place here sometimes because I'm not training with the same people all the time and it's just learning to even when I'm having a bad day how to make that into a good day I think that's uh, something that I need to work on now.
0: Very interesting, Michelle. But I uh, we're running a bit short of time, so I want to move on to the uh, the final subject I have prepared for uh, for today. We need to talk about all the new projects that you have uh, coming up. You uh, you mentioned it in the uh, the start of uh, our talk today that you had a a new launch of a, a new brand uh, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a yeah, logo and website and and everything. Uh, it's I think the slogan is uh, Excite Enhance. Elevate,
1: right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I saw it on uh, on Instagram. I have also been uh, checking out your website, and it looks so professional. It's it's really, really uh, some some nice work you've done there. And just yeah, just uh, I'm just curious to know, like like why why have you you put all this work into? Because obviously, th- this is not something you've done there. overnight. It, it looks way too professional to to be that. W- what is the reason behind? this new uh, project and uh, brand launch for you?
1: Well, I've wanted to, I guess, have my own brand for a while now. Um, But uh, recently, uh, actually COVID has really helped speed things along too, because during COVID um, I've been able to work with a team to put all of this together. And the purpose of the website, like you said, is excite, um, elevate and enhance, enhance, and then elevate. So um, I want to use my story to share with everybody um, the journeys uh, that and the experiences that I've been through to help other people, inspire other people, and just kind of use what I've been through to help speed up their process along. So um, I know for me, pursuing badminton has always been um, kind of looked down on, uh, especially like coming from a very traditional Asian family, you should go to school. Um, You don't make any money from Canada. Um, There's no, you have no chance of um, competing with the Asians or the Europeans. You have no funding. You have nothing. Like you're just wasting your time. So that's what I kind of grew up with. And, but my dream was always to pursue badminton. So, and I chose that dream and I just kind of hope that my story would be able to um, encourage other aspiring juniors to defy odds and just if you believe that you can do it, just pursue it. And um, a lot of things that I had to go through through trial and error and waste a lot of time. That I hope that through my story, people can can learn about and save time for themselves, and then just bring out the champion that's in them. So that's my goal for the brand and to help the sport on this side of the world. Um, help uh, Badminton in general too um, globally uh, in Canada and the Pan Am region and just yeah so I think the the words excite elevate enhance are a very good representation of what the brand means
0: mm, yeah and I can only uh, recommend everyone to go in and uh, read some of the blog posts that you put up on the uh, the website I, I think it's uh, I read a few of them uh, when when I prepared this interview and I think it's uh, like it's pretty rare to to read blog posts that are so honest. Like I felt like I, I get got to know you much much better. And usually, when you see blog posts from a, an athlete at, at your level, it's more uh, of a just a commercial post or a, just a, yeah. like su- a more superficial post. But I, I didn't feel like that at all. I really felt like you you shared your your real thoughts and yeah i i got to know you better from from doing that so i would recommend every all of my listeners to uh, to go to go check it out and the, what's the uh, website address michelle
1: uh it's michelleleebaminton.com.
0: yeah all right but apart from from the website and this brand you've also uh, launched a new uh, project on your instagram you want to do instagram lives every uh, every friday from now on correct mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I just thought it would be really good to get uh, people still, because with the whole COVID situation, um, to help the sport, I wanted to make sure that um, people still can connect with the athletes and fans can still connect with the athletes. And I thought it was a great way to um, stay in touch and just kind of keep the badminton community um, involved. And I just thought it would be fun. <laughs> Honestly, mm-hmm. I just thought it would be fun to get to know players, and it's not uh, nothing too serious. It's just it's very it's very easy, very light, and it's just uh, every every week Friday, fifteen minutes kind of thing. So um, I just thought that it would be good to just kind of connect everyone.
0: Yeah, definitely, and and it should be a lot of fun. It's uh, one of the things I, I find. Uh, yeah, fun and, uh, and nice about doing this podcast is that it gives me an excuse to actually sit down and talk with a player like you or Tony Gunawan or whoever I've had on the show Grisha Polly. Usually I would never sit down and, and talk for uh, an hour just about badminton with, uh, with that person but this is the, the perfect excuse to do it and it's, it's so inspiring and I'm, I'm sure you're gonna experience the same with, the, with that Instagram live. Uh, you're gonna do it in English right and not, not Cantonese. You speak Cantonese fluently
1: yeah, yeah, Cassie is a Mandarin, but it's it'll be also in Mandarin. Yeah, but it'll be in English. <laughs> all
0: right. What about uh French coming from Canada? That's almost also a uh, a language you need to learn?
1: Uh yes, I'm working on it, but it's it's <sighs> not as good as my other <laughs> other ones.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, all right. But that brand launch and a website and Instagram, for me it sounds like a uh, like a very um uh, like a strategy that you have put in place that you, you want to do some more, uh, to, to promote yourself perhaps. So do, do you also see it as a way to maybe help your funding situation or is there some thoughts behind it apart from everything you just mentioned about, uh, inspiring and, and yeah, helping people is, is, do you also see it as a way to, to kind of uh, help yourself in, uh, in some ways?
1: um for me i want the big picture is is very very far away it's um i want to change the sport in canada and i want to do that i need to create a brand that people can recognize and people can connect with and for right now the obviously uh, if the, the the website can share my story and can find sponsors that is a bonus and that is obviously one of the goals as well but the big picture of the whole reason of the branding and stuff is I want to create you can say my legacy and you can say just um, a kind of way to promote the sport and just uh, encourage people to kind of pursue their dream and uh, for me I I have a lot of plans for the brand Um, but the whole purpose of it all is just stay real and just focus on this on on kind of the the big picture which is to promote the sport and to excite enhance and elevate and it's just it's something I'm passionate about so obviously I need the funding um to to keep playing badminton to keep competing and stuff um but the brand it goes it, it means so much more than just money or commercializing uh, myself, like that's not what it's about. It's it's more. It's there's a deeper meaning behind it all. And I think um, for me right now, obviously the funding will help. But after, say, when I retire and stuff, I want to keep it going and I want to keep being able to help people as well. So um, yeah,
0: yeah. And you're definitely off to a a good start about achieving what you just uh, just said. Uh, as as I said when I read that blog post, it's it's 100% what you just tried to describe that I don't feel like you're trying to sell me anything in any way I just feel like you're you're telling the story of who, who Michelle Lee is and and what you're up to I just have one final question about all, all of this and, and that's do, do you have any concerns that it might take up too much energy or derail kind of your focus away from from badminton because obviously you I can hear that you're very passionate about it and that that also means that you probably spend a lot of hours on it So do do you have any concerns in that that way?
1: Uh, I do. Like, I've definitely thought about it because it is a lot of work. It is a lot of thinking. It takes up a lot of my my thinking time and when I should be resting and focusing on training. And I think COVID has really helped with that because when I'm not competing, then I can kind of focus on this. But at the same time, I'm working really hard right now so that once I start competing and training again, um, that it kind of just runs smoothly. Um, but I have a very great team that I work with and they also understand that I need to focus on my competition. So um they know me, they're they they know me very well and we've only started to work together, say beginning of this year, but they're starting to get to know me even better so that they understand when's a good time to contact me, when's not. And um it's about balance, finding the balance. Like say when I'm Uh, all my trainings and everything I try to put it all in the morning and in the afternoon so that at nighttime I can just relax and then doing the the branding stuff it's very easy because to me it's not really work it's kind of fun just like building your own brand so it's almost like uh, time off to kind of just um, focus on something else and then um, but I also have to make sure that I limit the time because if it gets too much then I start to kind of gets too stressed out, thinks too much about it, then I forget about the badminton stuff. So obviously there is a balance that I need to work on, but uh, my main focus right now is still competing. It's still training and still competing and um, making sure that I stick to my routines and everything that I need to do. And this is um, sort of on the side, but it's also something I'm very passionate about and it will always be there. So yeah, the balance is really important.
0: Moving on to the absolute final part, Michelle. I just have a couple of uh, listener questions. As always, I give my uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook followers a chance to uh, to ask questions to my uh, guests, and these questions can be about anything. It doesn't have to relate to anything we've been uh, discussing earlier in the uh, the interview today. So I hope you're you're up for that. I just have two for for today.
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: All right. The first one is from uh, actually two guys who who asked. Uh, Almost the same question, Trevor Steven and uh, Kim Ljungberg. They, they uh, say that you recently became an ambassador for Racquetland in uh, North America. So they're just wondering what, what, what your role is going to be and, and what is your experience with uh, Racquetland. And for the listeners, I can just say quickly that Racketland is a sport where you play table tennis, badminton, squash and tennis in one match against the same opponent. So, so what's your role in it and uh, your experience with Racketland?
1: Um, well, I'm just, I'm just an ambassador for Racqualon. Obviously I still need to train badminton and stuff, but I think in the future I would definitely participate in the Racqualon tournaments because I, I believe in Rackalon, I believe in like the whole concept of Rackalon. And I think that it's very interesting to put, um, tennis players and badminton players and table tennis players and all the racket, racket sport players together and just kind of... Battling it out and seeing who kind of comes out on top. And I've always been a racket sports kind of person, so uh, I've just agreed to be their ambassador. And I definitely look forward to uh, all the racquetball events that will happen in the future. Obviously, with COVID, it kind of slowed down a little bit. But um, as an ambassador of racquetball, I, I definitely encourage uh, everyone to try out all the sports, all the racket sports. Yeah.
0: Which of the four would you say is probably your uh, your weakest?
1: I have never played squash before, never oh, okay. played squash before. So, um, and tennis, I don't think that I am very good. I tend to clear a lot in tennis, so like okay. lost the shot a lot from back to back. So, yeah, but oh, yeah,
0: fair, I, fair I, enough, I will but... need a lot
1: of practice. <laughs> yeah.
0: Moving on to the uh, final question, uh, Michelle. It's from a guy called uh, Stefan La Roca or Rocha. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, so I, I hope I'm not uh, offending him here. Uh, but uh, Stefan is asking if there is a uh, story behind uh, the fact that you you keep on like swinging or flicking your uh, your wrist behind your back before you serve every time, and I was like, does she do that? So I had to to watch your matches on YouTube, and I noticed, yeah, that's right. So every time before you serve, you kind of uh, flick your wrist uh, behind your back before uh, before the serve. Why do you do that?
1: Uh, it's because there's one time that uh, I got really really nervous, and my wrist would tense up. And my coach would tell like, like, my coach at the time would tell me, just relax, like, flick your wrist, like, just relax before the point. So then I just got into the habit of just flicking my wrist every time before I serve to make sure that, okay, stay relaxed. Because, like, I tense up really easy, especially when I'm nervous. So then I think that's the reason why that kind of came about. And when I don't do it now, it feels weird. And I don't know why I do it behind me, but um, I had a friend who always oh, – always made fun of me saying that it's like i'm i'm trying to fan out like a fart or something <laughs> but that's not the case that is not the case it's just to relax my, my wrist and just kind of get the nerves out
0: yeah all right so that's a good reason behind it i, I think it's uh, one of those things where when you've seen it you cannot unsee it so i think i'm gonna notice every time i watch you play from, uh, from I'll, I'll
1: try to change it i'll try to change it i'll <laughs> see if you'll notice
0: uh, you you don't have to michelle you've been a uh, absolute star to listen to it's been amazing having you on we uh, have spent all the time that we uh, had in the calendar for this one so i just want to thank you so much for for taking time out to uh, to do this uh, little chat with me and i want to wish you all the best of luck with your uh, with your new brand and the instagram lives and uh, and everything i'm i'm looking forward to to follow it
1: yeah. Thank you so much. It was uh, definitely a pleasure to talk to you. Time went by really quickly. Uh, it was a nice, very nice chat. Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to A Year on Tour with Vittinghus. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, share, and leave a comment in iTunes or your preferred podcast app.